I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, I'm Matt Parker. I'm Steve Mould. I'm Helen Arney, and this is another episode of A Podcast of Unnecessary Detail, a place where tiny details can grow and flourish until they get interesting enough to talk about on a podcast. This episode is all about being primed and ready, so I'll be talking about a prime number that I received as a gift. I'll be singing about the largest prime number that we know about at the time of recording. I'm starting to think maybe I didn't get the memo, because I'm actually not talking about prime numbers. Oh, It's your choice, Steve. Yeah, your choice to be wrong. Well, I guess we'll see about that. Bring on the details. Steve, what are you primed and ready for? I'm not primed and ready for anything. I was <laughs> born not ready. But um, I want to talk about um, animal defence, animals that are primed and ready. Um, so imagine that you're uh, a honeybee. In fact, imagine you're a colony of honeybees and you've made all this honey and you want it that's your honey but then a hornet comes along it's a scout hornet so it's come along looking for stuff and it likes honey and it can smell the honey so it's come along it's having a little sniff around it takes some of your honey and then it flies back to its colony tells all its mates there's loads of honey over here they all come over as well take all your honey and if you're a european honeybee the chances are your colony won't survive. That's the end of your colony. The issue is your stinger isn't long enough or strong enough to get through the exoskeleton of the hornet, the, the scout that gets sent. So European honeybees are not primed already, but the, <laughs> oh, the wow. wild Japanese honeybees, they have something different going on. So the hornet scout turns up and the first thing is you know there'll be some honeybees on the perimeter they'll spot the hornet there and they'll waft some warning pheromones into the hive so that all the bees inside are now primed and ready they know there's a hornet outside but they let the hornet come in that's the first thing they do they let the hornet come in they're all ready for it and on the signal i don't know what the signal is they all jump on the hornet this big pile of them it could be hundreds of bees just pile onto the hornet and they start to vibrate their flight muscles and you know it's like if you do exercise you obviously produce heat it's the same for the bees 
when they vibrate their flight muscles, it produces heat. And the cool thing is, these honeybees can withstand temperatures that are two degrees higher than temperatures that the hornet can withstand. It's about 46, 47 degrees centigrade. And so they just heat up this big ball. It's called a hot defensive bee ball. And it just gets, and, and so after about an hour, the hornet is dead. It can't survive that temperature, but the bees can. Like in reality, there'll be some An bees hour. on the inside of the ball that, that die, but the colony survives. I'm almost glad the bees in the middle die because that's a really awkward hour of just the wasp waiting. <laughs> All the nearby bees are like, yeah, sorry. We're... It's super awkward, isn't it? Where you're, yeah. It's like when you're on the tube. If you fart on the tube, you're stuck right next to someone. <laughs> it's just awkward, isn't it? You just have to wait um, for one or both of you to die. And that's it. Yeah. Steve, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to tell me that this is leading on to something else. This has just been like a little Aesop's fable, a little story about, oh, yeah, there was a bee once and a hornet and la, la, la. <laughs> Are you actually trying to tell me this is true? No, it actually happens. And so the scout is dead, doesn't get to return to the colony of hornets. The hornet doesn't find out about this store of honey. It feels to me like if the hornet didn't have to go back with, like, proof of concept. I assume initially the hornets just went back and they're like, hey, I saw this incredible hive. And they're like, we don't believe you. Have you got any honey to prove it? And so now, (laughs) like, if the hornet could just go back, like, see it, and then go back and get yeah. its mates, you'd be fine. But the horn's like, oh, I've got to go in there and get some honey, or no one's going to believe me yeah, when I get back well to, yeah. to, to horn. Yeah. And so that, they've got to risk going in solo just to get everyone else on board. I, th- I feel like that's poor strategy. Yeah, you'd think that the hornet, as soon as it got a whiff of the honey, would think, right, I need to avoid the hot defensive bee ball. I'm going to fly straight back now and get all my mates. But Steve... They've never found out about the hot defensive bee ball because they've never come back. So they don't know about the hot defensive <laughs> yeah. bee ball. They don't know it exists. Do you know why? Uh, Do you know why I've, I feel like this is made up? Is because it sounds like a bee-based retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk, but instead of <laughs> throwing magic beans, you've got a, a hornet throwing itself into a hive. It's, this definitely feels like a made-up story. Like, and and then you're going to come out with some kind of moral in a minute, which is. Don't steal yeah. someone's honey or watch out for hot bees. It feels like a story like a teamwork consultant would tell. If you all work together and you can withstand hot temperatures while doing repetitive tasks, we can kill the wasp together. And wasp symbolizes lack of productivity <laughs> in the workplace. It's definitely a teamwork. You can tell analogy. none of I mean... us have had real jobs. <laughs> we have no idea. <laughs> so long (laughs) the expression works well in a team that sort of epitomizes members of a colony doesn't it no team works better than a colony you know there's no b in team Um, wait there's no b (laughs) it's unfortunate they've got an extra gene the wild japanese honeybees and it's like a thermostat so if you go too hot the bees die as well so it's got to be this two degrees hotter it's a very small window to hit Two degrees. Yeah, well, exactly. That's why they yeah. need this thermostat gene. There's so no- I imagine it's like if it gets too hot, they stop vibrating their wings. But if it gets too cold, they start vibrating their wings again. I'm just trying to work out the evolutionary pressure for this. And the first yeah. time that a hornet went into a Japanese beehive and all of the bees collectively decided to give them a big, warm cuddle. 
like Olaf from Frozen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I love warm really hugs. And the Hornet's like, hooray, I love Frozen too. Let's hug. Because they're vibrating their flight wings, presumably the step before that was just fly at the Hornet. Everyone fly at the Hornet. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I don't know. I guess start, yeah. like try and push them off or chase them off or, or whatever. But yeah. yeah, then they found that warm hugs are the answer. Yeah. That's an Death absolutely, I've got to say, that is a way to introduce science to uh, five-year-old children. <laughs> that, that could be an extra on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to pitch it, the warm yeah. hug theory of evolution. Do you want to hear some more um, weird defense mechanisms from nature? Yeah. Let's do some animals. But first, uh, just a plant one that I thought was really interesting. Diaphenbechia. It's a cane plant. And it, it doesn't have horns or spikes or it doesn't, it's not stinging or anything like that. But it has these idioplasts. They're specialized cells that when they're bitten into, they pop. And inside the cells, they've got these really spiky crystals, calcium oxalate crystals. And so they burst into the mouth of whatever's bitten into the plant and they spike the inside of your mouth. So it's, it's causing like little abrasions. And there's also like an enzyme in there as well. It's a bit like reptilian venom. And then it can get into your skin because of all those little crystal spikes that are in there. Um, it can paralyze temporarily the mouth of the animal that's eating it. And it's happened to humans as well. So the nickname for the plant is the dumb cane because ah, it stops you speaking. That is wild. And you may have experienced a, a mild version of it if you've eaten a kiwi. So kiwis, I don't know if, I, I get that, I eat quite a lot of kiwis. And um, it, has, um, it has these cells, you know, you break them up and there's these idioplasts. And inside is this thing that hurts your mouth. And, you know, if you eat too many kiwis, it can hurt your mouth. Judging by the sound of it, and knowing humans, we've either turned it into a medical aid or a delicacy. Yeah, it's like, ooh, this really hurts my mouth. I mean, it's the same with hot food, isn't it? Like spicy food. So, yeah, with, but with animals, I don't want to go over the ones we already know. Like, you know, there's the lizard that shoots blood from its eyes and all that sort of stuff. Like in Frozen. <laughs> like in Frozen. Uh, no, no. Like uh, in Frozen 2, the salamander that shoots fire. Okay, go. that is close. And now Matt's just embarrassed himself because he hasn't seen Frozen 2. I haven't seen Frozen 2. You haven't yeah. seen Frozen 2. I've not seen Do Frozen 2. Do you know what? Two. For a long time, I thought Frozen 2, not as good as Frozen 1. Frozen 1's obviously really? amazing. Yeah. Frozen yeah. 2's all right. But because I've got kids, I've now watched Frozen 2 a hundred times. And um, <laughs> now that I fully understand the plot, it's actually great. It's arguably the better movie. That's like the extreme version of it takes a little while to get going in the first season, but bear with it. You're like, no, look, <laughs> once you've had two orders of magnitude of views, it really starts to come into its own. <laughs> All right, let me do, let's just do a quick rundown of uh, uh, animals that I found interesting. The Dormouse. <laughs> The, the skin on a dormouse's tail is really loose. So if a predator bites down on the tail, it can just slip out. It leaves the skin behind. It's no. got a, like a saggy tail. The skin is, is easy to pull off what? on a dormouse. It's like a sock on a baseball bat. Oh. <laughs> but yes, that's the perfect analogy. <laughs> Um, and then the mouse just whips its tail like a baseball bat at the intruder. Yeah. No, it doesn't do that. It just runs away. But then it's left with just a bony tail. The tail is just bone then. Ugh. Yeah. Which then either falls off or it chews off. So it can only do it once in its life. But it's a, it's a useful trick. So it doesn't grow it back like a lizard or a gecko growing its tail back. The yeah. mouse is just like, no, well, no tail back. now. That's that now. That was my one shot. Um... 
the northern fulmer is a bird. The chick... The, uh, so vomiting in birds is a common defence, but the vomit of a northern fulmer chick is really sticky and it can actually clog up the feathers of the predator <laughs> to the point where the predator can't fly anymore. It actually kills the predator. So a predator bird flies in, it gets this sticky stick on its wings and dies because wow. it can't fly. It's absolutely horrific. That doesn't um, feel very efficient because surely a predator that is landed and cannot fly away right next to you is well, yeah. it's a bit self-sacrificial that feels what do you sort of Maybe. vomit and run and does it have an effect quick enough i don't enough? know well no it's chicks they're very defenseless that might be like evolutionarily uh, helps your entire species but doesn't particularly uh, help you yeah it's an interesting one well i mean uh, richard dawkins would disagree with that because of his uh, selfish gene uh, view of things Richard Dawkins um, and I would disagree on quite a lot of things so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the slow loris you know the slow loris the massive eyes really cute primates yeah you know the one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. adorable in defence it puts its hands up by its head and looks to look like a cobra and hisses like a cobra <laughs> wow <laughs> and that's... it produces a poison out of its armpits and if it's really threatened, it sucks the poison off its armpits and then bites the predator to poison the predator. This wow. is the improv group version of animal mimicry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just throwing everything they've got at it. There's nothing left in the can at that point. Yeah. All right, final one. I want to see if you can guess what the defense of this one is. The boxer crab is also known as the pom-pom crab or the cheerleader crab. They uh, grab a piece of... Uh, fluffy coral and punch their predator in the face with it <laughs> it's not bad it's close they stun their predator with a incredibly choreographed synchronized display of <laughs> athletic ability <laughs> and flips there is, uh, Helen, Helen was closer amazingly um, they grab a little sea anemone in both claws oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not nice. and sting Sting the predator with the sea anemones. So they carry him around. So it's good for the sea anemone as well because they get a free ride everywhere. <laughs> so good. C-R-A-B, you are never going to eat me. <laughs> I would like to share a prime, as in a prime number. I think we all saw this coming. Which <laughs> yes, I, I was primed and I was not ready. I think that's where I'm going with this. So by primed, someone sent me a prime. I got an email one day. And someone's like, hey, I made you a prime number. Oh. I'm like, I love my viewers. They are the best. This sounds very <laughs> standard so far. This just sounds oh, like yeah. a day in the life of Matt. I probably get sent a prime number more weeks than not. And so this was quite a nice prime. It's 2,112 digits long. It starts 11111. And then there's like, oh, I'm eyeballing it. There's maybe 10 to 15 ones. Then some sevens, then a one, six, four, eight, bunch of zeros, and it carries on. For, they're, they're just over 2,000 digits in this prime number. And I, to be fair, I have not verified it's definitely prime. I talked to them about how they verified it, and I was convinced it is a legitimate prime number. And it's not like a record-breaking prime number, of course, but it's, it's big. And mm -hmm. the reason that they sent me this prime number, and the reason I was more pleased than almost any other prime I've ever been sent, is if you put it into a text document and you adjust the width of the text document so each row is 33 digits, 
it forms a 33 by 64 grid of digits, which if you zoom out a bit and squint is a picture of me. No. So it's Matt Parker, the prime. I need evidence. Look at that. That's definitely <laughs> me. That is actually convincingly Matt Parker. If I saw that's that, definitely Matt I even Parker. know the headshot that that is taken from. I that's think quite that an old helps. Headshot, isn't it? If anyone does want to physically see this with their own eyes, it is in the podcast show notes. So you can click the link below and you'll go and see it. Yep. Can I just get this straight? This works because there are so many prime numbers out there that some of them will inevitably, if you get the line breaks right, look like something else yes there's a lot of repeating digits like in the background it starts with a lot of ones for example yeah and so you can see it's very uniform in terms of digits but then at the end there's a bunch of just random digits that don't seem to form part of the picture do you see what i mean it's almost like you've got a stain on your shoulder so the section of the number steve's talking about seems to be all eights and zeros because to make a picture out of digits You've got to start with the original picture, work out how dark or light each, let's say, pixel, big chunky bit is, and then work out which digit gives you roughly that level of shading. And for my shoulder there, mm-hmm. eights and zeros seems to fill it in nicely. But then suddenly at the end, instead of eights and zeros, you've got five, six, seven, seven, which does stand out a little, as Steve's saying. If you're blurring your eyes to make the image work a bit better, then... Yeah. That's an obvious defect in the corner. So you're both completely correct. It does also look like someone's added some kind of door frame on the right-hand side or some kind of streak of fours down the side. Oh, yeah. Now we're looking at it more like some kind of magic eye picture. It's starting to make sense because <laughs> now I can see like the ones and the sevens are the pale sort of yeah. tones. That's my So face. that's the background and that's your forehead and then more of your forehead and then a bit more of your forehead. And then there's this. There's this nines is from the t- in the shadows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. this is from the time you had. Um, yes, when I had hair, or when I had eights and zeros, as they say in the biz. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just trying to find a way to say it, Matt. It's now more of a zero than an eight, if I can. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is a bit like you know when you look at a photo that you've never looked at really closely before, and you realise there's something lurking in the background. I'd mm. never realised until right now there was there's a wall of fours. Just <laughs> leaning into the background of the shot. Those digits at the end, they've given me an idea of how it works, but I want to hear from you whether I'm whether What's I'm What's your right theory, Steve? <laughs> well, my theory is, without thinking about prime numbers, you just use some algorithm, as you say, to shade the picture according to the pixels, right? Using the yep. numbers. And then you search for a prime near to that. And so you're then just editing those last few digits, so you're looking for a prime nearby, and that just edits the last four digits, but the rest of the image is conserved. You're absolutely correct. Yay! So you just paint by numbers, <laughs> and then Jesse Mitchell, who sent this to me, could have just said, oh, I've got you a number. And I'd be like, thanks. But the fact that it's a prime <laughs> number, you're like, oh, wow, a prime. That's special. However, yeah. you're right. Once you've got your number, you just shuffle around nearby by tweaking, in this case, the last four digits until you get to the nearest prime. The question Ah. now becomes, how hard is it to find that prime? Because like Helen said, there are a lot of primes, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. how dense are they? If you've got a 2,112 digit number, how many guesses is it gonna take before you on average will find a nearby prime number? So basically how Mm. pleased should I be with this gift? (laughs) And there is something called the prime number theorem, 
which tells us roughly how dense or how many primes there are for any certain size of number. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out, if you're looking at numbers of a certain size, so let's say the starting number, this picture of me before it was primed, was just some number n, and you go, right, numbers that size, one in how many of them are prime? It turns mm -hmm. out it's roughly the natural log of n. So okay. the prime counting function, which tells you how many primes there are below a certain number, the first version of that that people discovered was just the number divided by the natural log of that number. I should point out, we've since got better measurements, but for sufficiently big numbers, just using the natural log is pretty, mm -hmm. pretty accurate. So if you take the natural log of kind of the starting number, or I just rounded it up to the nearest multiple of 10, then you end up with about one in every 4,863 numbers at this size will be prime. So there's a cool. couple That's every 10,000. Yeah, which is why I only have to like change four digits. Yeah. And as a fun, a fun rule of thumb, because the natural log of 10 is pretty much exactly 2.3. It's 2.30 and some stuff. As a rule of thumb, if you take any number and you count how many digits it's got, mm -hmm. and you multiply that by 2.3, so you double it and a bit, that's the probability it's prime. Now, obviously, ah. if it's even, then it's pretty obvious. So numbers of a certain number of digits, the number of digits times 2.3, that's the probability a number of that size picked completely randomly will be prime or not. So if you, let's say you've got a number with 100 digits and you don't tell me anything else about that number. You go, I've got a number with 100 digits. And I'm like, well, 100 times 2.3 is 230. So I know numbers of that size, one in every 230 of them will be prime. Oh. So I know, knowing nothing else about the number, other than it's got 100 digits, I know there's a one in 230 chance it's prime. And the reason it's 2.3, again, is because you're using e. So e to 2.3 equals 10. Uh. And I think it's crazy because on one hand, base 10 numbers, it's a bit arbitrary we use base 10 but this works in any base because you're using the natural log. What I find really bizarre is fundamentally the fraction of numbers, the percentage of them that are prime is related to E. Yeah. So this crazy number E, which is normally you know exponential growth and all these other things, also tells us the fraction of numbers which are prime numbers, and we can use it what? to give us an estimate of the probability an arbitrary number is prime or not. And I think it's just... Prime numbers are weird, is the moral of this. Yeah. Even ones that don't look like my face are weird. <laughs> They're the weirdest ones. <laughs> They're the, if anything, yeah. Do you have a sense of how long it took to find that image for the person that sent it to you? Like each check, how long did it take and how many checks did they have to do? And, you know, any sense of that? Yeah, so they didn't do the naive way of testing a prime number. It's too big to check its factors. So they performed a bunch of different types of primality tests on it which oh. is a whole other conversation but they use like there's a Fermat primality test there's a Miller-Rabin primality test and so they put it through a bunch of these I've just checked they didn't say how long it took them but they performed 200 different checks on it and so just from the way they're chatting it's about a day's worth of work under a day it's, it's not something that's taken weeks but it's probably not something that was instant 
probably a couple hours, but that's that's just me guessing from personal experience. <laughs> so it's like, how long did it take Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel? Wow. And would yeah. it have been quicker oh, if he'd just done quicker. it in prime numbers? Just do a prime number. <laughs> as far as we know, the first person who did this was someone called James McKee, who made a prime number which looked like the logo of Trinity College at Cambridge. They were giving it as a going away gift when they were leaving Trinity. Their going away <laughs> gift was a prime number, which is mwah, lovely. However, this was a couple of decades ago and computers weren't as powerful then. So they couldn't do what Jesse did to find my prime number by just changing mm. a few at the end. Because then you've basically got a number which is not in any way helpful for checking if it's prime or not. When James was doing this 20 years ago, they picked, they had like their picture in the prime and then a whole load of zeros, like a couple hundred zeros and then a one. And then they tweaked some digits in the middle because they knew that the number they had was one more than something with loads of tens in its factors. And so the fact that mm -hmm. they knew it was one more than such a big composite number actually made it easier to check using computerized tests. Whereas now, computers have gotten way faster, tests have gotten better, we can now hide the numbers we tweak anywhere, and we don't need all these safety zeros to make it one more than a very composite number. So one of the many benefits of increased computing ability is now we can have much more artistic picture primes. Yeah, it's, a, it's a really important, I think. Another practical application of prime numbers in computing. You're all just jealous that I've got a picture prime. A little bit. I do need to get an updated one with a more accurate amount of hair. Yeah. So fewer eights and zeros near the top and a lot more from the nose point downwards. Oh, yeah. Can we so just turn the ju whole thing over and just uh, call it a new self-portrait? <laughs> turn it upside down, you mean? Matt's just done a 180 with his entire <laughs> facial hair. Well, my facial expression has just done a 180. <laughs> <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, Matt, I see your prime and I raise you prime and ready uh, because i have a song about a prime number and i'm ready to sing it (laughs) so this is a special type of prime number that i know matt knows all about and steve i think just by osmosis uh, knows about Uh, and it's a really big one (laughs) it's huge it's the biggest it's so big that mexico's gonna pay for it it is the actual biggest (laughs) prime number that anyone has ever found matt what kind of Prime number is the biggest prime number. We're talking Mersenne Prime. I did know that. One less than a lot of twos multiplied together. Yeah. Yeah, Steve. So Mersenne Primes are always in this form of two to the power of a number, P or whatever you want to call it, minus one. So this prime number is two to the power of (gasps) 82,589,933 minus one. Please tell me the song isn't just you reading out the number. Some of it is. Please tell me the song (laughs) is you reading out the number. (laughs) Some of it if is. If you just sing all 10 digits, we can do the rest programmatically. Yeah, could do. Or I could just sing two times two times two times two times two times two. And I could do that 82,489,933 times. And that would be a lovely song, right? It's like a maths version of the can-can. That's what I'm imagining. Two times two times two times two times two times. No, I'm not doing that. That's not That's not what I'm doing. So you've got this big number, two times two times two times two times two times blah, 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 blah. And then you take one off the end. And it's a prime number. It's like magic. It's like, boom. Prime number, you've got one. They're obviously a bit harder to find than I've described. So Matt, you were talking about the appearance of prime numbers in kind of the number line. And to me, they seem totally random and utterly unknowable. Like prime numbers just occur and you can't possibly predict where they are or what they do. But I'm completely wrong about that, am I? You're correct for uh, certain definitions of all those words. Okay. Random, predict, certain. (laughs) It's a little bit like the Morecambe and Wise sketch where I've got all the notes, but not necessarily in the right order. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Can I answer the question I would like everyone to have? Yeah. And that's why, other than it makes for a better song, do we always seem to have these powers of two Mersenne prime numbers as the biggest ever discovered prime? And it's just yeah, because there must be primes in between the Mersenne yeah, primes. Loads. Why aren't we searching for those? It's because we've got a really nice primality test called the Lucas uh-huh. Lehmer test, which only works on Mersenne numbers. Ooh. And because it's such a nice, straightforward test, it's like the easiest test to compute. The biggest prime is always one of these primes. And there are other prime numbers we search for, which are big, like um, Gurman primes and all these other ones. But... The biggest, because it's just the easiest, nicest test, is always Mersenne primes. I love that there are some random techniques for finding and testing primes. It's like some kind of clickbait article saying, use this one weird trick to find your biggest ever prime. (laughs) Primes, one less than a power of two. Hate this weird trick. 11 ways to find that prime. Number seven will really surprise you. (laughs) The photo would have someone like rubbing a four into their eye or something. And you're like, what is this? (laughs) The test so is based go... on using the number four, by the way. So that's technically a very funny joke. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, hilarious. Much more hilarious now you've explained it. I thought so, yeah. So back in 2013, I was asked to write a song by a BBC show called More or Less. Um, They asked me to write about the biggest prime ever discovered at the time. And I thought, great, I'll do that. Write this song. That'll be done forever. I'll never have to revisit it again. And I was wrong because they keep (laughs) finding new Mersenne primes. So I've had to keep rewriting this song and I completely blame maths because it just keeps going. With physics, I'm genuinely worried that one day we're going to run out of physics, but I do not have that stress about maths because there is always going to be more maths. Always another prime number. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I picked mathematics for its uh, future career stability. Unless one day we do genuinely find a pattern in the primes and then we can just predict the next one. Or we find the last one. You know, we're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> well, that's all the prize. Oh, oh, we got a we got a lot of mistakes to fix. If they, if they, if they just, just run out and we're like, man, we have misunderstood how these things work. Hey, but then the upside of that is I won't have to write any more songs about biggest yeah. ever prime numbers. So for this song, you have to picture the scene. It is the 21st of December, 2018. And I am sitting at home. I'm wrapping a few presents, opening a few Christmas cards, thinking about making a pint of eggnog for my lunch. And a press release (laughs) arrives from GIMPS, which is the great internet Mersenne prime search, uh, who are responsible for discovering all the recent Mersenne primes. And this press release changes everything. The other night, Patrick LaRoche and his computer found a number. Not an ordinary number, but a number that's humongous. So I don't want your mince pies. You can keep your mulled wine. Cause all I want for Christmas is the world's biggest prime. <laughs> it's two to the power of eight, two, five, eight, nine, nine, three, three, minus one. It's mass and 51. Bring it with you and boom, a party has just begun. So give me or oh, give me this Christmas time, a 25 million digit Christmas prime. It's rarer than a cracker joke that actually makes you laugh. Ha <laughs> ha! As useful as a pair of roller skates for a giraffe. If I had one, I could do whatever I like with it. Well, anything I want apart from dividing it. Except by itself and one. It's two to the power of eight, two, five, eight, nine, nine, three, three, minus one. And if I tried to sing it in hours, I'd need about 6,900 and some extra seconds. So give me, oh, give me this Christmas time, a 25 million digit Christmas prime. You can type it and text it, or write it and post it, bake it in Stollen, then slice it and toast it. If you can't wrap it and send it in time, I'll take... 25 million decimal places of pi. So give me or give me this Christmas time, a 25 million digit Christmas prime. One more recursion. Give me, oh give me this Christmas time, a 25 million digit Christmas prime. Lovely stuff. I hadn't heard that before. That's new to Takes me. Takes me back. Could you actually give a prime like that? Like physically, if you printed it out, how many pages would it be? From personal experience? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I printed the prime two before that. 
And F- it 40 took for 1,000. I, yeah, I printed Prime. Let me just check the list. Yeah, Prime 49. And that took 1,490 pages. Oof, oh, it's less than so, I thought. It's not so mm. bad. Double-sided. Very small, mm. very small font. Yeah. And <laughs> this new one is only about... The one that Helen was singing is like 10% bigger. You oh, easily okay. get it in, you know, well under 2,000 pages. You could easily get it into a well engineered binder well i had to print <laughs> yeah. it in three volumes so i recommend that if anyone wants to print yeah. out tens of millions of digits just put it in volumes it's not worth the pain putting yeah. it all together for ease of flicking through it because that's obviously what you you're going to be doing yeah looking for one that looks like your face yeah <laughs> exactly how amazing would that be if you just flick through and you know on page 1934 there's just a picture of the three of us staring out <laughs> i stopped short of putting an index <laughs> You, what, you just have an index where it said one and all the pages where one appears and yeah, then yeah. two. It's what? <laughs> one of the few books where the index is longer than the text. And actually, I was able to print it because if you know the right people, that press release that Helen mentioned, you can get that a couple of days early. Embargo. No! Yeah. Mm. I know people who know people. I get hooked up a couple of days. But, oh, what a great few days. I'm just walking around thinking, <laughs> I know there's a new prime number and no one else does yet. It's oh, pretty special. That's got to feel good. So this is the bit where we are primed and ready, not just primed, uh, because there is a there is a Mersenne prime drought happening at the moment. Matt, you're going to have to come and join me with this bit because you know more yeah. about this than I do. Um, there's been a big glut of Mersenne primes that have been found, but not since 2018. December 2018, yep. when I rewrote what? this song is the last time one was found. And before then, it was 2017, 2016. Yeah, uh, we've been treated. We're, we're due one, right? Come on, we're due, we're like due. an asteroid hitting Earth. There's got to be one soon. Yeah, exactly, because they were coming at us one a year for a while there. But that came off the back of another previous drought. So we found one in 2008. Strictly speaking, we found one in 2009, but that was backfilling. It was like a smaller one than the other ones we'd found. And actually, your song, Helen, is currently Mm -hmm. the 51st Mersenne Prime, and Mm -hmm. it's the 51st discovered, but we haven't checked all the ones smaller than that. So there's still a chance it'll be bumped up to be like the 52nd or 53rd Mersenne Prime as we discover ones below it. We're we're only exhaustive up until the 48th. 49, 50, and 51, their rankings could move around depending on what we discover in the future. That's fine because the line Mersenne 51 doesn't rhyme with anything. So I could just flip that out and stick in Mersenne 52 if another one gets discovered just below. What about scanning though? What about the number of syllables? Would you be screwed if it was... Yeah, we'd be fine. As long as it's uh, not 57, we're going to be fine. Okay, okay. I think we're pretty safe. I don't know how many have to be checked, but I think think you're okay. (laughs) If you're just looking at... Like record-breaking primes, we had a drought between the middle of 2008. So we, we found one in August 2008 and then nothing until January 2013. So that's a good, what, yeah. four and a half year gap where we had yeah. nothing. And then there's another medium gap. There was like three years between the one in 2013 to the one in 2016. And after that, we were spoiled one a year, one a year. And now... It's been 
three years with nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's not a record-breaking gap, but I, I think we, we all got a bit complacent. And now yeah. we just had this three-year drought. Well, the reason we have the droughts is because the next one up is so much bigger than the previous ones. So on mm -hmm. one hand, it's disappointing because we haven't had any new primes. But on the flip side, when we do find one, it's going to be another substantial increase. So the previous right. three-year gap, it jumped from being about 13 million digits to 17 million digits. Whoa. And then after 17 million, we jumped right up to 22 and a bit million. Then the next three are like 22 and a bit, 23 and a bit, 24 and a bit. You're like, oh, come on. So historically and logically, the next one, the one that breaks the drought, will be substantially bigger again. And we're all waiting for when we hit a prime with more than 100 million digits. That's like the next major goal. It's not going to be that big, but it will be a big jump in the right direction. Why are there these gaps where we find them later, the Mersenne primes later? Is it because you do a quick check that fails, but you could do a deeper check? It's because they're done via a distributed computing project. So yeah. the great internet Mersenne Prime search, anyone can run the software at home. So actually finding them is easy in that you push a button and a program runs and right. then it checks numbers. I mean, the chance that you find it is obviously quite small unless you're running lots of computers or whatever the case may be. And so I had a machine for a while. I need to plug it back in again. I had a prime server just trying to find prime numbers because I was like, wow, wouldn't that be amazing if I found one? But that's what's interesting about this one is that this one was found by the little guy because yeah. often they are found by professors at, at universities or people who are working with servers and maths and like they've got a whole field full of servers working towards finding these primes. But this guy, he's an IT professional who had been working for about four months of running a server to find a prime. And on the fourth attempt, he found one. And this is considering that some people have been running the GIMPs program to find primes for about 20 years and have not hit any jackpots whatsoever. <laughs> Four months in this guy's first attempt to find some primes and that he got one. Lucky. But this is why when they publish the primes, they never just say it's been found by, you know, whoever it was that happened to be running the program at the time. They always say, mm. oh, that person's name plus the people who created the search thing in the first yeah. place plus it always they yeah. always add et al at the end to indicate everyone who had fruitlessly been searching for primes the whole time and had done nothing but eliminate the incorrect guesses <laughs> and <laughs> left the real primes to be picked off by people who'd only been running a server for four months so it's, so it's quite a nice community that that everyone is a part of because you right you've got to rule out the ones that aren't primes that's as important as finding the ones that are primes isn't it yeah, yeah. and w when you hand out blocks of numbers like if you start running the software your computer goes to the server and says hey can i dib some numbers and the server's like, yeah, sure, here. Here's the number. Look at this one. But then when do you reassign that number if you never hear back from oh. that computer? Like, are they still mm. crunching it or do you give it to someone else or what? And so, so it's not like we're just sequentially ticking them off. It's a messy, complex network of people with different mm. numbers of computers all around the world. There was one guy, Curtis Cooper, who just had all the computers at their university running the mm -hmm. software and so they found a bunch <laughs> he was the person who 
I sang about in the 2013 Mercin 48 version uh, of the same song. So yeah, I know Curtis yeah. and his work. Um, but yeah, and Curtis found the one after that too. He was you know all yeah. over it. It's interesting that the largest known prime keeps getting succeeded, but the smallest known prime, like no one's really made headway on that. You know, <laughs> I think you it's found always... a gap in the market, Steve. Yeah, it's just been two for ages. I don't know. I mean, yeah. like, hey everyone, I discovered. Negative three. <laughs> Smallest. Smallest known prime. Steve, I feel like you're desperately trying to get a song written about you. And it's just, <laughs> I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to do that it. obvious? <laughs> That's the end of this episode. So everyone, stand down. Until next time. Thanks for listening. We do love making this podcast, but not as much as we love being part of the ACAST Creator Network, which we are part of now. So true. And if you're ready for more detail, our show notes have loads of links to stuff like my face in a prime number, a free download of Helen's song, and a photo of Steve doing an impression of a slow loris doing an impression of a cobra. It's a bit like that. You can also click the subscribe button on your podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released. You'll also find all of Series 1 in the same place. And if you want to get in touch about anything to do with the podcast, find us on all the social medias or email us podcast at festivalofthespokennerd.com. Until next time, bye. 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 A podcast of unnecessary detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Helen Arney, Steve Mould and Matt Parker. Our series producer is Lindsay Fenner, who also produced this episode. Our theme music is by Howard Carter, and we are proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.